Hello and welcome to UN Catch-Up, Dateline Geneva, a weekly review of international events that are making the headlines at the United Nations. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Daniel Johnson, and in today's show, we'll be hearing about UN Rights Chief Michelle Bachelet's update to member states on the situation in Belarus, also efforts to get aid into Ethiopia's Tigray region, and for the world's workers, a warning from the International Labour Organization that COVID-19's impact on wages is only just getting started. That's all in the News Bulletin, coming right up. But first, we're off to the Democratic Republic of the Congo, where we're going to find out about how UN broadcaster Radio Okapi is busy providing life-saving and trusted information on COVID-19 to its many millions of listeners. Not just on the new coronavirus, in fact, but on deadly Ebola disease, which is endemic in the country, along with cholera, measles and malaria. This is a massive task, almost as vast as the country itself, which is the size of Western Europe and home to the UN peacekeeping mission MONUSCO. But it's more urgent than ever, as the country faces a new infection spike in all provinces. To help understand how Radio Okapi is tackling the problem of rumours and misinformation, I spoke to the station's head of strategic communication and public information, Christoph Buliorak. I started by asking him for the latest news on COVID-19 in DR Congo. Unfortunately for COVID, we are now in a situation where we receive signal of an increase of second wave of COVID in mostly in Kinshasa, but also in Kivu and in, in most of the provinces of the DR Congo. So it's just, you know, it's just coming back. We have to take all the measures of precaution. I must say that the situation is not the same here in DR Congo with lots of economic problems, lots of problems of peace and security. So there was all the, you know, it's difficult in some part of Kinshasa to find, to see some people who are wearing masks now, but there is clearly a need given the alarming signal that we receive to resensitize. And that's what we we have done since the beginning on Radio Kapi, but we are going to talk about that. Absolutely. And and I should say that, or maybe you could give us an in, a bit of insight into Democratic Republic of the Congo. It's a vast country. So how do you go about tailoring your programming to the different needs of the country? How many transmitters do you have, for example, over there? We have 40 transmitters. Radio Kapi is actually the, the radio number one in the country, less and less in Kinshasa because there is some competition, which is very good, actually, very healthy. But in the rest of the country, we are the, the radio number one. We have a cumulative weekly audience of 23 million people, 40 transmitters in most of the provinces of the country, and we are also developing some partnership with local communities. That's a radio, that's a UN radio that was born in 2002, you say it, and our daily struggle is to provide credible and reliable information about all the country. And of course, we broadcast in five languages, French, but also Lingala, Swahili, Kikongo, Chiluba. And I must add a few other languages in the recent studio and local program that we have put in place in the Kivus during the last Ebola epidemics, where we needed also to be able to speak to people, because that's what it's about, right? Radio is to speak to communities, and we also add some local languages like Kinande, and we now get the feedback that, you know, that was extremely important to speak to people in a context of pandemic, because there is a lot of resistance, there were a lot of rumors, that was true for Ebola, that's true for COVID, and that's 
always a clear necessity to speak to people and to be listened. And you know that people, even in a country, in a huge country like Congo, they are very demanding. If they don't like the radio program, they will switch it off. So we need to be a useful radio. Its DNA is really the focus on reliability and credibility. It's great that you mentioned credibility because trust obviously is so important. Your listeners actually trust what you say. And it it reminds me of a conversation I had with one of your colleagues, one of your reporters last year. And she was saying that one of the things that people understand about Okapi is that the information is verified. So it's not going to be immediately perhaps available, but it will take perhaps a little bit longer to verify. And that really brings me to my question. How do you keep up with social media and the misinformation that surrounds not only COVID, but Ebola and all sorts of things. You know, there's lots of unfounded information out there. So how do you keep pace with it? Yeah, your question is at the heart of what we are doing now, because we are engaged in the process of transforming Radio Capi in a B media. It's a radio station, so we are we manipulate 20 news, uh, 20, 30 news every day. Some of them are very sensitive, but we also, and these news are broadcasting on air. But we also want these news to be on the social media quickly because the situation, the way to consume, to access information in Congo is also changing very rapidly, particularly in the cities. And we need to cope with that. We need to follow this process. I omitted to tell you that the Facebook page of Radio Capi is the biggest Facebook page in the DR Congo as well. So uh, for us, we have right now limited capacities in community management, but for us, the main things through our Facebook page, through our Twitter account, Instagram, but also our website. The, the, the website of Radio Capi is also very, very well followed, not only in Congo, but also abroad among the diaspora and others. It's about, you know, again, providing the right and verified news. And that's often enough, you know, when you have a credibility to ensure that rumors and fake news are not considered as credible. Can I I just jump in there quickly? How do you nip those rumors in the bud? I mean, maybe give me uh, some specific reactions and responses to confronting misinformation about not only Ebola, but COVID, some of the, the talk shows that you have. How do you directly stay in contact with your listener base? We have three main programs. The three most popular programs of Radio Capi are interactive. We allow the listeners from all the provinces of this huge country, 80 times Belgium, when you take a plane, you need to fly for three three hours to go on the other side. So we get within one hour some calls from the east, from the west, from the north, from the south of the country, they often ask questions very upfront to our guests or to ourselves. They often convey rumors and misinformation, and that's a very efficient way to ensure that uh, these misinformation are not circulating further. But that's not enough, of course. It's very important to listen to people, to give them the opportunity to speak and to answer to them. But of course, we also need to work at the same time on the Facebook page, the social media. It's more important, you're right, for us to be credible than to be fast. That being said, you know, we also need to be fast just because if you are not fast, you give the space for all the disinformation to grow up. So we are currently reorganizing internally Radio Capi so that we can send notifications on the social media. We don't want to be in a position where we have to wait for the first radio 
news bulletin to provide uh, an important information we need to put it on the website before thank you for that that really is fascinating insight into how a traditional radio station is evolving to meet the needs of this fight against uh, misinformation just tell me why it could be harmful in the ebola context you know there were people who were dying because they were afraid of going to get help weren't they Yes, I mean, I, what I heard in DR Congo during the latest Ebola epidemics in, in Equator or in the Kivu was, was pretty much similar than what I heard when I was in Liberia, Guinea and Sierra Leone a few years ago in West Africa during the big Ebola crisis. There is, during this time, especially in areas where there are peace and security issues, everything is integrated, everything is mixed, right? You think that you need to provide the right information so that people uh, just take the right measures or are not hostile to the medical team. But it's more complex than that because there are clearly people who don't want peace, who don't want the disease or the outbreak to be stopped because it generates money or it generates chaos and this chaos is actually good for their own private interest. So that becomes extremely complex. And I guess the right thing is to be able to reach people, to reach the communities. And the radio station, of course, is unique, not the only one, but that's a unique tool. And to do it with the right message at the right time, using the right language and doing repetition. You know, radio is very important in Africa and the radio uh, podcast also can be sent on digital platforms. So there was some hostility towards the medical teams and that was extremely dangerous for the humanitarian agents who work in the context of Ebola at some point, given insecurity and there were lots of challenges logistic challenges again it's a huge country so the problems are incredible here and that's good to hear the local authorities first to say that the radio station was instrumental it's not us who say that it's it's them i was in butembo one that's in the northeast that's in the northeast and that's near beni in Beni, you have armed group ADF who are killing the population, the civilians. At the same time, you had Ebola. Can you imagine of all of this is intricating and how it's difficult to fight against an outbreak into that? And uh, the, the reason why we have created new studio in this northeast part of Congo is because we were asked by the local authorities, say, we need Radio Capi to speak specifically to our population and convince our population that the people who come to fight against Ebola are not their enemies, because some spoilers tell them that they are the enemies. So it's just a very clear reminder that radio broadcast is incredibly, if it's well done and if it's really targeting the right audience, it's incredibly useful to fight pandemics. That was, I just want to, to say that that was, that was not the first raison d'etre of Radio Capi, right? Radio Capi is not in Congo to fight pandemics. But it's the, what is interesting is how we, we use this tool uh, to also fight pandemics uh, on, 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 on fighting, uh, on, on sensitization, but also on education. Very last question to you, Christophe. It would be really insightful to understand how you personally and your team have coped with COVID. I mean, radio stations are less complicated than TV, that's for sure. But still, they need a certain minimum level of material and gear to make things work. How did you cope with the restrictions placed on you because of COVID? 
Well, that was like in many countries. It was just a new situation. Lots of fears, lots of anxieties, lots of rumors. People didn't know where we would go. The long-term consequences of that at that time, we had quite little knowledge at the beginning, if you remember well, about this disease. We had several staff that were tested positive. We lost one colleague and we had no other choice than uh, we didn't want to stop the radio. You don't shut down the radio at, at, at a time where people are at home and listen the radio and need the radio even more than usually. We had to find the technical way to continue broadcasting without any staff in the office. And we managed, each staff managed to... Uh, <laughs> to uh, present the news from home. We pre-recorded, we were sometimes live, and we managed to maintain our sensitization on COVID in all of Congo. Our news, reliable news, because it's not because there is COVID that the problems stop in terms of peace and security, and we managed to keep our audience. That was great. That's not over now. We are not back to normal, but of course, we know now that uh, we are able to continue broadcasting even if everybody has to go back home. Christophe Bouliarak from Radio Akapi in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. Thank you for this insight. I thought I was busy until I just spoke to you. So I will let you get on with your many various challenges. And we look forward to speaking to you again. Look after yourself. Christophe Bouliarak from Radio Akapi in Democratic Republic of the Congo. Now it's time for the news. Hundreds of people continue to be arrested every week during demonstrations in Belarus, where protesters have been systematically and violently dispersed, UN Human Rights Chief Michel Bachelet said at the Human Rights Council. Speaking on Friday in Geneva, the High Commissioner for Human Rights expressed deep concern about use of force violations by the security forces. Ms Bachelet, who maintained that the situation in Belarus had seen no improvement since protesters began contesting the result of presidential elections in August, said that reportedly around 1,000 people were arrested on the 8th of November and 700 on the 15th. She told member states that allegations of injuries caused by crowd dispersal measures and of ill-treatment during arrests have continued to emerge and that at least four people had died. Numerous accounts describe demonstrators and passers-by being randomly chased, kicked and severely beaten with batons during the dispersal of rallies. We also have multiple and credible reports of people beaten by members of the security forces during and after their transport to police stations or detention centres. If confirmed, such incidents should constitute ill-treatment and in some cases may amount to torture. In reply, Belarus's permanent representative to the UN in Geneva, Yuri Ambrazovich, said that most people were continuing with their normal lives in the country and that the government was functioning, as were factories and offices. The UN is doing its utmost to secure aid access to Ethiopia's Tigray region, it said on Friday, after a deal was struck to reach displaced civilians affected by weeks of fighting between federal and regional forces. The development comes after an earlier announcement that the Ethiopian government had authorised unimpeded, sustained and secure humanitarian access to reach those in need across areas now under its control in the northeast of the country. In Geneva, UN Refugee Agency spokesperson Babar Balok said that more than 47,000 Ethiopian refugee arrivals had reached Sudan so far, with more expected. But there's still concern for tens of thousands of Eritrean refugees still inside Tigray. Here's World Food Programme spokesperson Thompson Firi. WFP's priority is to locate some of the 50,000 Eritrean refugees who, before the conflict, received food assistance in four camps in Tigray. 
It is possible that some may have fled by now in search of safety. The impact of the conflict on civilians is also a major worry, amid warnings from the World Health Organization, WHO, that the worsening of the COVID-19 pandemic it was to be expected, along with injuries, malnutrition and communicable diseases such as malaria. Finally, global pressure on wages from COVID-19 will not stop with the arrival of a vaccine, the head of the International Labour Organization, ILO, has warned. ILO Director General Guy Ryder was speaking at the launch of the UN body's flagship Global Wage Report, which is published every two years. It showed how the pandemic had slowed or reversed a trend of rising wages across the world, hitting women workers and the low-paid hardest. It's going to be a long road back, and I think it's going to be turbulent, and it's going to be hard, Mr Ryder told journalists. Except for China, which was bouncing back remarkably quickly, according to the UN data, most of the world would take a considerable period of time to get back to where it was before the pandemic, and this had dealt an extraordinary blow to the world of work almost overnight, the ILO chief said on Wednesday. He explained that there was at least a strong likelihood that as wage subsidies and government interventions are reduced, as they will be over time, that we are likely to face continued downward pressure on wages. According to ILO's report, after four years when wages grew on average by by 0.4 to 0.9% annually in advanced G20 economies and 3.5 to 4.5% in emerging G20 economies, wage growth slowed or reversed in two-thirds of countries. So that was the news. So let's wrap this up, but not before we have heard from our guests, Solange Bejotegui-Cortez and Alpha Diallo from the UN Information Service here in Geneva. Solange, uh, to you first, what are your thoughts then on what Christophe had to say about trust building and the need to really fight this misinformation scourge that is so prevalent and preventing people from getting the right information? Well, hi, Daniel. Hi, everybody. Uh, I like very much when uh, Christopher said that during the last Ebola crisis, he heard similar things from Ecuador to Sierra Leone, Liberia. I mean, this is something that we are living also now with the COVID. The virus is everywhere, but the misinformation is everywhere also. It reminds me, one of the stories we did with the Eunice, Um, Eunice being the UN Information Service, and there are lots of them around the world. Sorry for the acronyms, listeners. Carry on, Solange, excuse me. (laughs) Thank you, Daniel. Yeah, and the the story was in Senegal, and Damian Cardona, the director of Eunice, you already spelled it, thank you, said that he loved to listen Radio Okapi because the radio links Latin and African rhythms. This is exactly what I think we need to do to build bridge within cultures. And they did using music to sensibilize the local populations in each language, in very much languages, to sensibilize about COVID. And it works because music is a universal language. That reminds me about another story which you reported on this year, Solange, from Bolivia. And this time you highlighted the work of a young rapper called Criso, who is in El Alto, which is a city at, what, 3,000 metres above La Paz. And he was a rapper who used to uh, earn his living down in the city. But COVID put a stop to all of that. And he had to turn to recycling and earning, you know, pennies, I think, really, to get by. And he really was struggling. But then he got into an initiative with the information service uh, down there. You're in quarantena. Sorry for the uh, uh, pronunciation, me in quarantine. And he used music there to get in touch with young people 
and explain about COVID and really to express some solidarity. Maybe you could put some more flesh on that story for me. Yeah, you pronounce it uh, well. Uh, yo en cuarentena. And the, the, this story was powerful because Criso is a young rapper and uh, he worked with the UN team in Bolivia and it was really powerful because he used hip hop to sensibilize about COVID. And here again, hip hop is, I would like to say, it exists everywhere, not only in one country. So we, again, if misinformation is a global issue, then the answer is also global. And this is what the hip hop was doing and very effective because he lives there. He suffered there. He was without work. I mean, he needed to survive. Like in uh, when Christoph talked about uh, local uh, populations in, in, in Africa, he said, I mean, there is economic issues. We, we cannot just think, okay, put a mask or do, do this and that. I mean, they, they have real economic problems. And Criso, even with the, all his problems, he wanted to help. He wanted to be part of the solution, singing and doing what he knows to do. Thank you for that, Solange. And quickly to you, Alpha, if I may, it would be interesting to hear your insight because you and I together here at UN Geneva, we've covered the Ebola crisis, not only in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, but there are so many similarities, aren't there, between the approach to how you tackle something as deadly as Ebola, as you might also approach COVID. And the question of trust is one that's really important too, getting the trust of the communities and overcoming stigma. What do you think about what Christoph said? Any, any, did that bring up any memories of our coverage of Ebola in the past? Yeah, thank you, Dan. Thank you, Solange. Yes, that's right. It's not enough to have a vaccine. And regarding what Christoph Bullerak said, it's not enough to have a vaccine to treat the disease. You have to get also the support of the community or your health intervention won't work. And I think the World Health Organization has said this time and again at press conference over the years in Geneva, there's also a question of respecting traditional belief in Ebola. It was often the funeral practice that transmitted the disease after mourners became infected by touching the defunct. So it's this kind of thing that can only be addressed by people who have the trust of the community. And I want to conclude Dan by evoking some lesson from Ebola in West Africa, where the community engagement was one of the key to stop the spread of disease. And in the fight against COVID-19, it highlights importance of building trust, working with the healthcare workers and communities. Thank you, Alpha. I know that is something that all of the humanitarian coordinators of the United Nations, and I'm sure all humanitarians would echo because one of the things they say to us when we talk to them is, oh my goodness, I've got so many meetings. I can't get into the field enough because that's where you stay in contact with people and that's where you really understand what the needs are on the ground. So that issue of trust is obviously very difficult to define, but it's something that you can't do without. And I think Solange and Alpha, unless you have anything else to say, that brings us to the end of our first UN catch-up, Dateline Geneva. I don't know what you think. We will take this forward. Listeners, if you're happy with this, we would love to hear from you at uh, UN Geneva. Just get in touch with the information service and maybe you have a story that you'd like to share because we'd like to hear from you. So uh, it just remains for me to thank Solange Bejotegui Cortez and Alpha Diallo from UN Geneva. My name is Daniel Johnson. Until next time.